around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Lankford here again today, and we'd like to take the opportunity to welcome each of you today to the Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. We thank you for tuning in. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of your life. We are humbled by that, that you would have enough interest to listen to the Voice of Evangelism. I think many people who have talk shows and things of that nature take for granted they take for granted the listener, but I'm always conscious that your willingness to take the time to listen to what we have to say to advocate and appropriate according to the Word of God. Well, this is the week of Thanksgiving. It is imperative in this hour that we be a people of Thanksgiving, giving God thanks for his blessings upon our lives. You know, one of the great sins in the last days is the sin of unthankfulness, unthankfulness. So many people are unthankful. Sometimes we don't realize it, neither are we aware of our unthankfulness we, because we as creatures of nature, we take so many things for granted that the lights will always be on, the water will always be running, the car will always start, someone that we love will always be there. The truth is, that's not always possible. Circumstances, events take place that nullify, negate some of those things. And I don't want to fulfill negative Bible scripture. We're going to be talking about that today. Someone has to fulfill the scriptures when the Bible said they would be unthankful, they would be unholy. You can find all of these sins in 2 Thessalonians chapter, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning there at verse 1. Paul said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now there's just a litany of sins, despisers of those that are good. I, I watch the despicable attitudes and the hearings, judicial hearings for the Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett the outright attacks and onslaught. You know, one of the great attributes of Christianity is 
honesty, and truthfulness. Now, I know we live in a world, we're going to talk about that today, where people profess to be Christians, yet they lack truthfulness, honesty, integrity. They lack it. They lack it terribly, terribly. But that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. I, I, I don't want to be one of those people that is unthankful, that is unholy, and I certainly do not want to despise those that are good. Yet we see people who do good. That's what Jesus did. He did good. Peter declared in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You see, they crucified a man that went about doing good. The Bible says in the last days, they will despise those that are good. And then, of course, Paul says they would have a form of godliness. Alexander Cortez, I loathe the hypocrisy that if Jesus came into the halls of Congress, the Republicans would throw him out. You see, people have this passive idea about Jesus. First of all, they don't know him. You can't talk about a man and be factual if you don't know him. Now, we all get talked about. People talk about all of us. All of us are talked about by other people. Sometimes it's terribly negative and evil, and there's no truth in it at all. Sometimes it's true. People are evil, ugly, sinister, vile, wicked. But I, I have such contempt for her to talk about Jesus, and she embraces everything Jesus was against. You see, people forget Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, too. I've said this many times. God does not change. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord, and I change not. Just as much as God hated Sodom and Gomorrah and their sins then, 4,000 years ago, he hates it today. It's just the covenant has changed. The way of salvation has changed. But God still hates the sin. But see, people would tell you, oh, no, 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 Jesus, oh, he, no, no. You can, you can turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and still be saved. You, my friend, I, nobody can change God's grace. Grace is divine. You may be a gracious person. You may walk gracefully. You may, you may handle your life gracefully. I'm talking about divine grace. That's what Jude is talking about, how they would take the divine, unmerited favor of God upon humanity, and they would turn it, they would twist it into lasciviousness. In other words, unbridled restraint. I would ask Miss Cortez, young lady, 
Do you practice celibacy? Don't talk to me about Jesus when you break his commandments. Thou shalt not fornicate. By the way, that's New Testament. But you see, that's the hypocrisy part. That's where we are in America today. Before we get back into the Holy Writ, I want to play a beautiful, beautiful song by the Isaacs. Sweet Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send you another comforter whom the world seeth not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. See, that that's that baptism part I was talking about. My, my daughter Lorraine and I some weeks ago on talking it out. He's not only around you, he's in you. When you are immersed in the spirit, you're baptized in the spirit, that also means you carry it on the outside as well as on the inside. Listen to this beautiful song by the Isaacs. So many times 
One thing is for certain, he will not leave you, we leave him. Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, but I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. You need to remember that in the coming days, Jesus will be with you. Thus, the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 said, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my help. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Paul is telling us men may do evil things to us, but God says, I will help you. I will keep you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God will take care of you if you put your trust in the Lord. I want to share something before I start today to let you understand the fear, the anxiety, the distress 
that people are in at this present time. I got a phone call yesterday where a brother, whom I know very well and personally, had a very troubling dream. Everything around him was on fire. Everything was being destroyed. And he asked me the question, how would God judge me if I took my wife's life, I shot my wife, to save her from the distress. He wanted me to give him an answer. Now, these are the kind of questions I get asked. You know, people mock me, they criticize me, they ridicule me, castigate, lambast, impinge, encroach my life. How would you answer that question today? These are the kinds of questions I get all the time. And they want me to give them an answer such as this brother. How would God justify me or not if I shot my wife and, by the way, my dog, he said, so they wouldn't be burned up or suffer as well? My response was this. I don't know how you would handle it. I said, number one, I've never, there's no Bible for such things. Number two, God is able to deliver his people. You don't have to get so distressed that you think you have to shoot your spouse to save them from something terrible that may be coming upon the earth in the time of the end. Thirdly, they loved not their lives even unto the death. What does that mean exactly? They didn't exalt their lives and esteem their lives of greater importance than suffering and dying for Jesus. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimonies, or their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto the death. Fourthly, there were those, the Bible says, there were those who didn't want deliverance. They didn't want to be delivered from the torture, the pain, the suffering. You say, are, are, you, are you certain about that? Well, I'll give you the Bible be, be patient here just a moment, please. They didn't, they didn't want physical deliverance, yet we know that God did physically deliver a lot of people. I, cont I contend 
that God knows everyone's personality, their makeup better than he knows your makeup better than you know your makeup of who you are. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 11, and this is where I directed my brother. See, I I don't give my opinion. See, I, I get that question. I got one lady so mad at me. She quit supporting the ministry. What's your opinion? Who cares about my opinion? What does the Bible have to say? That's the authority. That's the authority. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I can quickly think of two men, actually three men, Samson, David, and Daniel stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fiery furnace. Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens or the foreigners. Women, received their dead raised to life again. The, the woman at Zarephath, after uh, Elijah left Zarephath, and she had the little boy that Elisha promised her, or Elijah promised her. Then the child died, and then Elijah raised the, raised the child from the dead. These are, these are the things uh, that the uh, Paul is alluding to. Women received their dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Now think about what I said. They didn't want to be delivered. But I suppose God could have delivered had they wanted to be delivered. I I don't know. I I was not there. I don't know the, the personality, the makeup of these men. So Paul says, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. That's Isaiah was sawn asunder. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. These are the people of God of whom the world was not worthy. These men, these women were so dynamic, faithful, blood-bought, born-again saints of God. The Bible said the world was not worthy to have these people on the earth. That's how great men of God and faith these people were. The world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Remember Elijah is complaining he's the only one left. God said, get up, I got 7,000, never bowed a knee. 
And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should be made not be made perfect. In other words, we're all going to be made perfect in the end. And we all go through different things in our personal lives at, at certain times. I've, I've got a dear friend, uh, a, a long-time friend, um, who found out he has um, squamous cell carcinoma in his nose, and they're going to have to take the whole nose off the face. Be 14 to 15 months before you can get a prosthesis, a prosthetic, to replace what they're going to take off of his face. <laughs> when I was praying with him, counseling, encouraging, and I've said this a thousand times, you don't have to look far down the street, either on the left side or the right side, to see someone far off worse than you are. You think you got troubles? You think you got issues? Uh, this brother, for the sake of confidentiality, this, this is devastating. Absolutely devastating with his profession to have to remove the whole nose and the tissue around it and be left with just a huge hole in the middle of your face. Please pray for my, my friend, that God would help him. Many people don't understand the gravity of ministry. I, you know, that's why I get uh, sometimes upset. I loathe false accusers, accuse me of things. You, you have no idea the issues I deal with in a week. I don't come here and cry and whine and woe is me. You have no idea of the magnitude of the things that as a man I deal with every day. And they're not on my part. They're the difficulties, the aberrations, the anomalies that other people are going through. But they come to me. Help me. You, you don't know how I kneel in my office chair at the house and weep and cry and sob and pray and plead and beg with God. I mean, this, this is a constant seven days a week in my life. These are hard things. Man ask you, you think God would forgive me to shoot my wife to save her from something worse? The day before, the brother says, I've got this squamous carcinoma, cell cancer in my face. It's in my nose. They're going to have to remove my whole nose from my face. You, you think these things are easy? Those of you who sit out there and you lambast and you criticize and you slander and you false accuse the man of God, you have no idea the burdens that I carry. I don't expect you to. I, I, I don't expect you to carry the load that I carry. I, I don't expect that from anyone. My wife, my children, I, huh, I, I dare not put the, 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 the burdens that I carry on anyone's shoulder. I know it's, it's grievous. It's arduous. It is so hard at times. 
And I'm a man. I was somewhere the other day and the Holy Spirit quickened my mind to Isaiah 7.13. It is a small thing for you to weary man, but will you weary my God also? As a man, I become weary at times. You, you have no idea the magnitude of the phone calls, the prayer, the counseling, marriages, just, oh, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's 24-7 nearly. There are times I would like to run. There are times I'd like to hide. There are times I'd like to say, I don't want to talk to you. Don't call me. Leave me alone. I was, as I sit here and I think about the Scripture, the Holy Spirit quickened to my mind, it is a small thing for you to weary man, but will you weary my God also? As a man, Jesus too became wearied. John chapter 4, verse 6. Now Jacob's will was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. As a man, Jesus became wearied. Tired, worn, the toil of life. You see, that's why I loathe these charlatans out there who are in this for the money. Well, I want you to start calling me Pastor So-and-so. How many bedsides have you stood by and watched people die? How many times have you stood there with the family when a child committed suicide or a child was killed in a car accident or whatever the case might be. How many times have you done that? Oh, excuse me. You're, you're a prophet. You're, you're even more elevated. These are the realities of genuine bona fide ministry. When my phone rings... The question mark is, in my mind immediately, who and what? Who is it? What is it? Now, I'm not whining today. You have needs. You have problems. You have difficulties. You phone me. You email me. That's my job. I'm called for that. God called me for this. God called me for a time such as this. So don't think, well, I'm not going to bother him. No, you call me. I want you to call me. But I hope you understand the those of you who are so critical. You, you have no clue. You have no clue. And then, of course, I as a man, having children, a wife, and grandchildren, I have my own problems. Broke another tooth the other day. Eating beans, pinto beans. Broke a tooth. Crushed a rock, my wife didn't sift them well, and a rock was left in there and broke another tooth. Father Time is taking his toil on me. I didn't tell you all of that to say, leave me alone, don't call me. I told you all of that to let you know how grievous the burdens can be at times in my life, not because of what I've said, not because of what I've done, not because of what I'm going to do, how people are thinking about the distress. Jesus said perplexity upon the earth. You see, that word perplexity means no way out. And this one brother says, would God hold me accountable if I took my wife's life so she would not have to suffer? That's, that's a lot of love. 
But I, I couldn't tell him he could do that because I have no scripture. I have no scripture reference to direct him in such. But I admonished him to reread the closing verses in Hebrews 11 because God can do anything in any capacity. We left off last Tuesday talking about how people would give up. They would depart from the faith. It's the persecution as the divisiveness, the division in this nation grows exponentially, there'll be those who'll quit. They will just simply quit because they say, I'm not in it for this. I didn't join up for this. I didn't bargain for this. And I'm not going to endure this. You cannot grow tepid. You cannot grow indifferent. You cannot give up on God no matter how difficult things have become in your life. And I'm going to say this. This will anger some, but many will tire, and they will give give up while waiting for a fake or a false pre-tribulation rapture. They'll just quit. I remember 20 years ago, a minister said to me, when I came out theologically and changed my position on the rapture, it's not pre, it's post. And he said to his wife, Diane, one day, Diane, I think Pastor Lankford's right. If, if the Lord was going to come prematurely, pre-trib, I think he would have already come. That's 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago now. Well, guess what? The Lord still has not come. Let me share from Luke chapter 13, a very profound passage of Scripture that hammers home the straightness, the narrowness, the gravity, the grievous burdensome of trying to endure until the end to hear Jesus say, well done. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22, he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? In other words, is there going to be anybody saved? You've been teaching some hard stuff here. Are just a few going to be saved or are there going to be many saved? Are there few that be saved? And he said, the Lord said unto them, strive, there's the key word, strive, to enter in at the straight gate. This is something you have to strive for. Jude used the word, you must contend. If you're contending as a boxer, you have to fight the next guy in line. If you're the, if you're the, uh, the champion, there's a contender coming along. And if he wins enough fights, he contends to the degree you have to award him the opportunity to fight you. Why? To strip you of your title, your kingship in the arena. The arena. Are you striving? Are you contending? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now notice the dichotomy. 
They will seek to enter in. They shall not be able. Why are they not able to get in? Because they're not striving. They're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. Remember, he prefaces by saying strive, contend, labor, fight. Even the word agonize comes into play there. It's agony. Jesus did it, Luke twenty two forty four, and being in an agony, he prayed the more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground, agonizing. Are you agonizing to get into heaven? Or are you just merely, merely going down the stream of life and everything is hunky-dory? Or is it a battle? Is it intense? Is it? Many I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and they will not be able. They can't get in because they're not striving. They're not contending for the faith. They're not fighting. Remember 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to eternal life. Lay hold to this eternal life. Seize it. Grab hold of it. Don't turn it loose. See, the devil is trying to steal your crown. Revelation 3, 10, 11. Hold that fast that thou hast, that no man take thy crown. To him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. You see, men are crown stealers. Men steal crowns. They deprive you of your crown. They deprive you of your blessing. Why? Because they're lying to you. They're manipulating you. You must contend. You must strive. If you're not, There's no guarantee you're going to make it. When once the master of the house hath risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye shall begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. When the master of the house, that's Jesus, hath risen up, hath shut the door, in a spiritual application, Elohim rose up after he got Noah in the ark, and the Bible said, and God shut the door. Now, do you think anybody knocked on the door when it began to rain? Because it had never rained before. God had always moistened the earth through dew. You know, some mornings you get up and the dew is so heavy, just it just waterlog your shoes, your pants, if you get in the dew in the morning. It had never rained. Man had never seen it rain. I won't get into all of those details at this point, but my point is, the master, Elohim, rose up. He shut the door of the ark. And as soon as it began to rain, no doubt, there were those who, Noah, we believe you, we believe you, but it's too late. It's too late. No, nobody was striving other than Noah and his family to get in the ark. Nobody was helping him build the ark probably. Maybe they were. Maybe he paid him wages. Maybe somebody helped him. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and argue about things I don't know. But all we know is eight souls were saved, and that was it. Eight. Eight. By the way, new beginning. 
Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. So they feign a relationship. They pretend some kind of relationship. We've eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. We know you. We've been around you. Come on, man. Give me a break. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Now that tells me something. If you're not striving, then you're probably a worker of iniquity. Because if you're striving, that keeps you from working iniquity. It's hard to work two jobs, isn't it? You've heard me say this. If you keep praying, you will quit sinning. If you quit praying, you will keep sinning. You can't pray all the time and still sin. One is going to stop. If you keep praying, the sin will cease. If you quit praying, the sin will pick up. Your lies will pick up. Your dishonesty will pick up. Your fornicating will pick up. Your drunkenness will pick up. All the evil in your life will pick up. If you keep praying, all of those sins stay at bay. They, they wane. They waft away. Why? Because you're staying in the presence of God. You're striving. You're contending. If you're, if you're not striving, you have a great propensity to work iniquity. You just you fall into the snare, the trap, the sin of iniquity. What a tragedy. What a, what a terrible, terrible tragedy. You see, this is what's going to happen in the end to a lot of people. They're going to fall away. Just as much as there's a great devastating falling away, there's a great multitude that's going to be saved. There's a great multitude that's going to be saved. As I said last Tuesday, every scripture in the word of God must be fulfilled no matter what. Someone is going to fulfill the apostasy and departing from the faith scripture. Somebody's going to fulfill those scriptures. I quoted from 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The seducing spirit is 4108 in your strong exhaustive concordance. The Greek word is planos, P-L-A-N-O-S, planos. It means a roving tramp, a harlot. And what we have today in America is a harlot church seducing untold millions of souls, and they're becoming more blind by the day, and they've quit striving for the kingdom of God. Therefore, they are becoming workers of iniquity because they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Man, I just can't get away from that phrase anymore. When I reread that again weeks ago, and Jude, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. 
See, the harlot church is the exact opposite of the body of Christ. Christ would have to be a whoremonger. His body. Now, there are those who are trying to make him the church that way, but that's the substitutional church in the end time is the harlot, whorish church, that whorish spirit. Sleep with anything, do more tricks, make more money. Jesus rebuked, I should say, Jehovah, Jeremiah 3, 3. Therefore, the showers have been withholden. There hath, no, there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead, and thou refusest to be ashamed. Today's church ought to be ashamed of the things they're suffering, allowing, or tolerating to come into the houses of God. But these hireling preachers won't stand up against anything. That's what Jude means when he says they're going to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, unbridled lust. Come on. Don't matter who you are. Just come on to church. You don't have to live right. There are people that you think live right. You listen to them. They don't live right. I've been around them. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to call no names. I'm just telling you. He said, the showers have been withholding. There hath been no latter rain. Thou hast a whore's forehead. That's a pretty blatant, blunt statement. And he said, you refuse to be ashamed. We should be ashamed of the state, the condition of the church. A lot of people today have lost their fidelity in serving Christ. Now it's infidelity. Whoredom, whorish, adulterous, adulterers. Now, this is spiritually speaking now. I'm not saying they're all running around committing adultery, but remember James 4.4. 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let me tell you, you're not going to mix Hollywood and Nashville with Christianity. Now, I know that makes people mad. It's called worldliness. We have to make a distinction. God makes a distinction. It's up to us to make the distinction and saying, I can't go there, I can't do that. I don't have Netflix in my home. I've never had Showtime, Cinemax, HBO, never had any of those things. I, I've not gone to a movie since 19... I think the last movie I went and saw was Jaws 1. 73, 74, 75, somewhere in there. Spielberg, remember the first Jaws movie? What suspense. That's the last time I've been to a movie. Well, Brother Langford, that you, you can go to movies. That, that, that God's not going to hold you accountable for that. I think they call them Cinemax. You go to a theater and you have a PG or maybe even a G and a PG and then an R. And I walk out, somebody says, hmm, I wonder if he went to the R movie. Television is bad enough as it is. I've sat down to watch something on television I thought might be intriguing. I had to turn it. 
too much cursing, too much profanity. I like the Virginian. I like gun smoke, you know, wholesome stuff, you know. Uh, some of this stuff is just, it's, it's sinful, sinful, lewd. The vision, David Wilkerson's book, prophesied all of this was going to come. Now, again, what Wilkerson prophesied was not just cursing, the, the, the flamboyancy of absolute nudity and, and, and the sexuality on television. You can order anything you want, as filthy as you want, on your television today. See, we, we shouldn't do that. That, ha- that I know that grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And that's why I used that word or showed, explained to you the word plano, seducing spirits. It's a roving tramp or harlot. What you've heard people say, he's been seduced by that woman or that woman's been seduced by that man. See, that's a spirit. It is a spirit of seduction. And the word planos also means to be an imposter, someone who willfully and intentionally deceives people to their utter destruction and personal calamity. Look at what um, Delilah done to Samson. See, she seduced the man of God lured the man and by the way she was paid it was she got silver for it they committed if she would find wherein was his strength they paid her and so she through her seducing spirit she in theory was an imposter she wasn't who she said she was oh baby don't you love you love me tell me your heart don't, don't hide anything from me. Open up. Tell me where your strength is. And see, he lied. He wouldn't tell her. Finally, after enough seduction, enough of the seducing spirit, he said, it's in my hair. You cut my hair. I lose my strength. He may have looked better with his hair cut. But he lost his power because he put his head in the lap of a whore. I said he put his head in the lap of a whore. And it cost him. You know, I got a sermon. I was going to preach it. Our our conference uh, for 2020 was going to be power failure in the church. And I was going to preach a sermon on Sunday morning of Samson being a type of the church. And Delilah was a type of the devil to seduce him to finally get his hair cut and lose his power. And that's what's happened to the church. There's a loss of power in the modern church. Say what you will, argue with me, criticize me, lambast me, find fault in me, there is a loss, there's a power failure in the modern church, but I believe the power's coming back. Yes, I do. I know it's coming back because God said, I'm going to pour out of my spirit. And there's going to be an untold harvest of souls. He's going to bind the tares and bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into the garner. Go reread it. Matthew 13, read all of those parables. It's talking about the great harvest. 
the multitude of souls that are going to be one. And I'm praying, God, give me favor with young people. Let my voice be so anointed that even young people in their teens and 20s, something innate within them will reach out and say, I know that man's telling me the truth and my conscience bears witness. I got to get out of this sin. I got to stop doing this. I've got to stop doing that. Pray with me to that end. Please pray with me to that end. And see, when that seducing spirit finally takes hold, it builds a fortress, a rampart. It builds a fortress in that life of that person, and they then become a place and a person of bondage. They can't get out, or they won't out. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 21, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Some things will never happen until we fast and we pray and we cry out to God. We have to do it. It is imperative. You can't play church. You can't play with this. I know this is some heavy teaching, preaching, whatever you want to call it today. And I know you're not going to hear it any, hardly anywhere else. There may be a few men out there going to tell it just like it is. They're not going to sugarcoat it. They're not going to give you cotton candy fluff and stuff. But we're, 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 we're few in number. We're, we're not, we're, the, the, it's not popular to preach like this. It's not popular to teach like this. But Jesus said, you got to strive to enter in to the kingdom of God. For straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Then he says there in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. If I ask you this question today, are you doing God's will? And I know what some of you are saying. I don't know what God's will is. Well, then pray. Ephesians 5 and 17, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of God is. That's why I'm praying about the will and God's plan and purpose for the voice of evangelism right now. I'm praying for a pure door, a pure open door to go and minister the word of God uncompromisingly here in the time of the end. The fields are white, Jesus said. The fields are white. They're ready to harvest. Do you know what he said? The laborers are few. You got to have the laborers. And I believe personally the greatest labor is intense prayer and intercession. And I keep, I was, I was in prayer this morning. I was reminded again of the words of Abraham. Genesis 19, 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? God will do what's right, but we got to petition. We got to pray. God's going to do what's right. You can, you can rest assuredly. God is going to do what is right. You may not believe that. You may not think that, but I promise you unequivocally, God, Elohim, Jehovah, is going to do that which is right. Abraham, see that relationship with Abraham? 
was so tenacious, he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? I know you, God. You only do that which is right. You don't, you don't do anything that's wrong. So I know you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And he was right. And we see that in Matthew 13. Bundles the tares and burns them up, and the wheat is gathered into the garner. He is a righteous, holy, 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 holy God. And he will do only that which is right. R-I-G-H-T. Aren't you glad for that? Boy, I'm so glad. God only does that which is right. And that's why when we feel like things are not going the right way, hey, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So it may not necessarily appear to be right to you. But concerning God's will, God's plan for your life, it is right. It may be tough. It may be grievous. It may be arduous. It may be difficult. It may be laborious. But it's right. It's right. Because God always does that which is right. Thank you. God bless you. We'll be back here tomorrow. This is Thanksgiving week. Be thankful for the blessings of God. We're going to pick this back up tomorrow. I pray this teaching here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 are powerfully enlightening to you regarding the time of the end. I only preach, I only teach what I feel led of the Holy Spirit to do. I want to be sensitive. I want you to be sensitive. I want to be timely with the Lord and his will. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening. Have a great night. And may God keep you in the coming days. Amen. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.